Welcome to the Men's Health Unscripted Podcast with Patrick and Cam. We're focused on everything on men's health, looking at your emotional, your physical, and your spiritual well-being. You're going to take care of that and make sure you keep on going. What's going on, guys? It's Patrick and Cam. We have a, we got another dentist on because um, they actually called out Cam. They had some beef to settle. We'll wait to get this. Let's some questions. Let's get some questions. <laughs> just kidding. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. Dr. Peter Heitman, uh, dentist. He's also a captain in the U.S. Army. So thank you so much for your service. We can't wait to kind of dive into dentistry, uh, men's health, and all things that encompass those topics. So how are you guys doing today? Doing good, guys. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate y'all uh, getting me on the podcast. You're excited to join y'all today. No, thanks for coming on and stepping in and even wearing the camis. You know, like yeah. you guys need those things in the office or something. <laughs> for sure. I don't get the opportunity to wear the uniform too much. As soon as I get to work, normally I change into scrubs. So anytime I, I can, I do. Very cool. So Peter, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into dentistry and just your current path through the military as well. I know, you know, you're a friend of Dr. Jules, um, kind of put you on with us and you took a little bit of a different route outside of dental school than she did. So I'd like to dive into that a little bit more. Yeah. So, uh, originally I'm from South Carolina, born and raised in Greenville. Um, and then I did four years of dental school at MUC down in Charleston, actually, um, Dr. Jules and I, we're in the same class. We started out dental school as lab partners in gross anatomy. So we were dissecting bodies together and got to know each other well there. Um, and then I had preemptively before dental school signed a contract with the army. They paid four years of my education. So I owed them four years back. Um, I added one year onto that on the, the front end with a one year residency and general dentistry. Um, so now I'm, I'm three three years into my army service. And uh, it's been, it's been an interesting route. Started out in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Oh, well, uh, gross. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like I went from this beautiful coastal town in Charleston into the, the middle of the United States, about as far away from water as I could get. Uh, so it was a little bit of a culture shock. Did 12 months there. And then I moved on to Fort Campbell in Kentucky, Tennessee. It's in both states. Uh, technically the headquarters is Kentucky. Been there for the last couple of years, um, and about a little over a year ago, I took over the role as a brigade dental surgeon for the 101st Airborne uh, Air Assault Division. So I've had a little bit of a unique change uh, in my path with the Army. I'm enjoying it. I'm getting to do a lot, lot more Army stuff than uh, just day-to-day -day dentistry and enjoying a little bit of variety with my work. That's pretty interesting. I kind of did the opposite where I joined first. Um, you know, sucked at Uncle Sam's dick for the four years, and then they paid. They paid afterwards, uh, which is nice. You know, they paid for the majority of pharmacy school, which is, I'm sure, just as expensive as really anything else. It seems to be. Yeah, um, that the GI bill is. Uh, it's a nice way to to do it. So. Yeah, it's not too bad. So, Fort Sill. I'm pretty sure it's where the Marine Corps has uh, their artillery school too, right? Correct. So not only is it a culture shock, it's literally shell shock. Uh, because for people who don't know, we typically shoot the howitzers over, you know, neighborhoods and things like that, just because the range is far enough. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So living out there, it's, uh, I kind of liken it to living next to uh, train tracks when you grow up and, and after a while you don't hear the train <laughs> tracks anymore. It's like after a while you don't even realize all the artillery blowing up around you. So you got to go around the house and adjust all the picture frames on the walls uh, every night after <laughs> 
the, the walls have been rattling with all the art, artillery, but I did get to shoot off a howitzer while I was out there and that was a pretty cool experience. Oh, that seems like a good time. Did yeah. they, um, I don't know how to ask, I don't know if we're gonna have any issues with like the government and saying things. Uh, essentially, did they haze you when you shot your first round? Um, there was some fun. They, they definitely, I would say anybody in the military likes to have some fun with the dentist and uh, pick on them because they know they don't know a whole lot outside of uh, outside of our lane. So I remember they asked for volunteers when we got out there and uh, nobody volunteered. Uh, so I, I stuck my hand up. I said, I'll, I'll fire up the house or first. And they're teaching me how to line it up, how to aim it. And they go, uh, by the way, yeah, if you uh, hit anybody and, and kill them, uh, you're going to jail for the rest of your life. And then oh, they yeah. get fire. And I'm looking at them. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. And these things, I mean, the center portion of the howitzer recoils about three feet. And so they gave us a little, little, you know, 30 second safety brief, don't stand behind it or else you'll die type thing. Um, but I didn't realize the entire howitzer, the legs included that mounted to the ground would recoil a decent amount. So I had my kneecap right up against the leg. Oh no. I pulled the fire and that thing just, you know, felt like I shattered my kneecap. Of course, you know, round goes off and then they yell fire again. And I'm like, I'm about to do this to myself again, but luckily didn't, didn't hit the knees another time. I was pretty, pretty bruised up, but uh, no lasting injuries. Nothing I can claim on my disability. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you might've got bamboozled right there because uh, typically when you're firing a triple seven, you don't have somebody so close to it. Um, they should have told you that, I guess, but. Yeah. Uh, our safety brief lasted about 30 seconds. So it, it that's about right. Gun bunnies are kind of a uh, low vocabulary type low vocabulary. Did you get to keep the, uh, the firing shell and everything? The no, I didn't. That would have been great, man. Those things oh, man. were massive. It was impressive. Impressive machine. Yeah, we, we make our, uh, so when we did it, we would make the new people shooting. They'd have to like bite on the swab and like drink some of the swab water. And you have oh, to like gosh. chew on the, um, the firing, you know, the blast cap round thing. You got to keep that. So I have that so much up behind me. Man, I was, I'll have to say, you know, field artillery is a tough life. And I was always impressed with those Marines out there, man. They've got their stuff squared away. We'd be in a change of command ceremony or something at attention for about an hour. And these guys were locked in and I, I probably look like a goon out there, but man, the, the Marine guys are always impressive. It's the physical abuse, you know, kind oh. of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they say hazing's a bad thing, but it seems to work pretty well. It works pretty good. You know, I, I think like I played college baseball and we got we did hazing and it's like it builds character but i i get it like when it goes too far and somebody dies so you have to like find this like happy medium between like you know is the paddling too hard you know whatever and i know the kids are a little softer nowadays than than when we were younger but i kind of miss i miss like light hazing i'll i'll go oh, i was saying i miss some good light hazing I totally agree with that. I think fear is a great motivator for a lot of people and, um, you know, having negative repercussions for not doing something the right way can, can definitely teach you. So, well, even then just like, you know, making, making a team or something, you shave the kid's head. Like I remember one year, this like sophomore made the team and I shaved like a Gallagher into his head and made him go to school like that for a couple of days. His parents were pissed at me, but it was like, it made that kid better. For sure. You definitely get a sense of, of earning your spot. Oh, yeah. He loved it. And he would, like, tip his cap, too. Like, he would get a hit, he would tip his cap and stuff. It was hysterical. And he fully bought in. You know, at first, he was, like, apprehensive. And by, like, the third day, that was part of his personality. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. So, rolling past our uh, our good, our good you know, haze talk here. Uh, exactly what does the do for 
the 101st, like, you know, the Marine Corps, we don't have healthcare personnel like that. We utilize the Navy. So what's your role in like a deployable unit or, you know, out in the field kind of unit? Yeah. So um, we've got a lot of dentists in the army, about a thousand dentists in the army, just under that. Um, and our day to day is just doing dental work, just putting our heads down and, and doing what we're trained to do. Um, I'm kind of in a unique role. They call it a brigade um, dentist role. And so my job is essentially just to deploy with the unit. So we have three of us uh, at Fort Campbell uh, for the three brigades of the 101st Airborne. So the three of us kind of were split up. And so one just actually went on a rotational deployment and then I'll probably replace him next year at some point. So we go on these nine month deployments and while we're wherever we are, um, just taking care of the guys, managing emergencies or doing day-to-day dental work. Now, Shout out to, you know, rub, rub anybody the wrong way, I guess. What is, what, what do you mean by deployment? Where are you guys going for that? I mean, if, if it's offset kind of stuff, you know, that's fine. But like, if it's. Yeah. You know. I mean, it's, uh, it's the United States Army's everywhere. So it's, uh, I don't know if I can say specifically where uh, people are going, but essentially staged to support um, our efforts overseas and um, be prepared in case anything goes south in any certain countries. Okay. Cause um, obviously, you know, the Marine Corps and the Army have very different roles when it comes to the military forcing. So for us, um, a deployment is combat. So we do have a lot of other, other areas in the Marine Corps where they'll consider going to Japan a deployment or they'll go to Korea and that thing's a deployment. And we're like, that's not a deployment. Like you're going out to do a field op or something right. like that. Um, yeah, so we do rotational basis. I mean, right now we're in peacetime uh, for the first time in uh, 20 odd years. So these are considered non-deployment or sorry, non-combat deployments. So you don't get any of the glamorous uh, patch that you get to wear when you get back. You don't get any of the combat or really hazard pay and the benefits in terms of getting tax-free income. Uh, but that's, a, that's you know, our peacetime operations that we have. So do you guys have like a, so you said like a brigade level, do you have like a brigade dental when you're deployed out there? Do you have like a local or are you actually are embedded with a platoon or embedded with like a, the health side of? Yeah, so I'm embedded with the unit. So um, we'll go over and essentially I've just got a field, field equipment. It's much like, uh, it reminds me a lot of going on mission trips and you just set up essentially like a lawn chair, you got the guy in it. And you've got a portable dental unit that you're rolling that, you know, rarely works, but uh, mostly we're just managing emergencies, taking out, you know, wisdom teeth when they get infected or if somebody's got an abscess, you know, if we can do a root canal, we'll do a root canal. If not, the tooth is coming out. So our, our uh, treatment does kind of vary a little bit and it changes based off the setting. So I wanted to kind of, I need to give you some flack from the podcast with Dr. Jules. You're <laughs> describing your experience uh, in the Navy, getting your wisdom teeth out. And then you asked her the question, you said, is real people dentistry the same? So I just wanted to, <laughs> wanted to see what you mean by real people dentistry. Um, so <laughs> as offensively as I can, can say it, I consider non-military people, I call them normies. Norm. So... <laughs> <laughs> So like, if you're out with the normies in dentistry, like, is that the, they pull them the same way? I would imagine you might be the same kind of, if you're in the field, the same kind of way of pulling teeth, uh, mm -hmm. where you're not going to have all that, the gas and the, the fancy equipment where it's going to be just kind of Novocaine and screwdriver. Yeah, it's, uh, 
sometimes it's a little bit more low tech in the field environment. Um, makes it a little bit more challenging. You got to get a little bit more creative with your treatment. Uh, but inside the dental clinic, I mean, I was really impressed when I, when I first got on active duty with, um, you know, when we're just at, you know, post at the normal dental clinic, we've got all the highest, highest tech equipment, um, some really nice stuff, uh, innovative dentistry. We're 3d printing a lot of stuff. We're milling out, you know, same day crowns, um, which is, you know, can't say the same for a lot of private practice, uh, offices that haven't quite caught up with all that technology. So, I'd say, you know, I get that question a lot um, when people find out I'm in the army and I'm a dentist, like, well, what do you do for the army? I'm like, well, I do dentistry for the army. <laughs> um, it seems simple to me, but yeah, no, I forget how much uh, separation there is between the normies and uh, <laughs> the green suitors sometimes. There's, there's a very big, like, it's, if you, if, I guess if you haven't seen the, the, the curtain, you, know, you don't really know the difference on it. Um, but that sounds intense. So like my experience with Navy dentist dentistry was like 10 years ago at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and the government loves yanking out wisdom teeth. So like before we left, they were like checking people, like they were like, like the Nazis checking backgrounds, you know, like who has teeth. And they were like making people yank those teeth out if there were any kind of issues with them, just because yeah. when we get over into the sandbox, you know, we don't, we don't have dentists. So if something happens, like we had a guy, who uh, some kids sent us the care packages and he was eating dots or something around Halloween or Thanksgiving. And the dot like ripped out some of his fillings on some of his molars. So they had to one, he had to hang out and wait because it's not like we have anything to do about it. And then they had to schedule and fly him somewhere up North where there was an army, you know, dental office or something like that where they can fix him. And so he was probably like three or four days just sitting there. Um, and the whole, the whole ordeal. Yeah. And that's, um, I mean, when we look at doing a nine or 15 month deployment, uh, so we're trying to plan out ahead and say, well, what could become a problem for this patient for the next nine to 15, you know, months. And a lot of times wisdom teeth, I mean, everybody in the army, when they get in the army has got their wisdom teeth still. And so I can't pull out all their teeth, but when we're going on deployment, I, I, you know, you try and cover a lot of that so that you're not having that issue downrange when you have less equipment and less capabilities. And like you're saying, if they've got to get evac to a hospital setting to manage any sort of infection or, um, you know, extra surgical needs, you know, it's taking them out of the fight for, for a week at a time. Uh, whereas if you can get that done before we leave, then there's no issue for the next nine months. Yeah, it'd be even convenient if you can take care of it, you know, in an hour just because you have your little field office set up already. Uh, super useful. And we were on a pretty big base at that time. We just, again, we just don't have medical personnel like that so we didn't have anything like that we're kind of just gotta forget how you're on your own health wise out there sometimes oh yeah absolutely okay. i had a question so we were talking about shooting the howitzer and then like kind of readjusting the the painting the paintings in your house mm -hmm. have you ever been like practicing dentistry and then the howitzer goes off and you're like "Ooh, my bad yeah no i don't think um nothing hit too close to the dental clinic where it really, really frightened me. I've had a couple times, man, when you get that kind of jump scare in dentistry and you're running a burr at 40,000 RPM or a hundred thousand RPM. And, and, you know, I can get dangerous quick. Uh, that's why I love when my patients keep still and keep quiet and, and, you know, lie there motionless for, for however long I need to work on them. <laughs> but when you get that jump scare running a, running a drill that fast, it's always, you know, your heart rate shoots up, your blood pressure skyrocketed briefly make sure everything's still intact. 
Oh yeah. It reminds me of being like at NASCAR or something, except with the drill. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but so, that's, that's quite a good difference. So also with uh, the difference with normie medicine or dentistry, in this case is that like when you got actual patients from the real world, they're not like usually calm, they're kind of spastic when it comes to they're nervous and things like that. But like in the military, you're excited. You get to lay down and take a rest for a while. So you don't give it, you don't care what they're doing. The amount of guys <laughs> that just love being in the dental chair, just, I mean, they immediately pass out, take a little nap. They've been up all night, you know, pulling 24 hour duty or something like that. I think honestly that the uh, going to the dentist is a nice little reprieve from, from the day to day in the army. So I get a lot of grateful patients for that specifically. And I'm like, Hey man, you can hang out as long as you want. I'm not going to tell anybody we're done, you know, with treatment. So <laughs> take a little nap, get some rest. Uh, every now and again, you, you get a little spastic patient, a lot of, you know, dental anxiety is pretty common. Um, every now and again, you got to pull a little rank, uh, tell them to sit down, shut up, put their phone away. Uh, that's one, one thing I love about the army is, uh, you know, people, people respond well to direct communication in that manner. So it's been helpful in my, my day-to-day practice. Can't quite use that on a patient that's paying you and that you have to convince to, to like you and come back and keep paying you. But in the army, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to use that as long as I can. 100%. that's probably one of the hard transition points too is like when you transition from the military environment into the real world and any kind of medical field it's super hard to kind of get past the fact where it's like you have to earn their trust and they don't automatically assume that you're trying to do the best for them or that you're not fucking them around or something it's 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 wild oh one of the, I, I do absolutely love and you know i'm on salary with the army right we get our our base pay so it's not like i get compensated based off procedure so I tell somebody they need something and they're questioning it. I'm like, Hey, I don't get paid any more or any less whether or not you do this. Like I, I'm not saying I want to take your wisdom teeth out. Cause I really like taking wisdom teeth out. Like this needs to be done. You know, and if it's not done, you're not deployable and you're no use to the army. So you can make that decision for yourself. Your command team can, you know, write up the paperwork to get you out. Oh, interesting. I mean, even worse than that though, you could be, be left on remain behind and remain behind elements trash. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're going to make your life miserable. Because you're working the entire time. So a little background for that. So if your unit deploys and you're not able to go or you're getting out or whatever reason you don't deploy, you're on remain behind. So you're cleaning stuff up. You're organizing your, your equipment. You're cleaning the guns. You're cleaning up trash off the road. You're doing garbage work for the entire time they're gone. And it's super frowned upon. Like everybody looks down if you're trying to evade or get out of, you know, some sort of deployment or field exercise. Um, I mean, it's pretty pretty transparent as to what your motivations are. And if you're bought into the, the mission as a whole, if you belong and, and you're kind of cut out for the military or not. Anytime we're going to a field environment for, you know, three, four weeks at a time, and we all know it's going to suck. Everybody's immediately in sick call for dental about their wisdom teeth after I've been trying to talk them to getting their wisdom teeth out for the last six months. So I can, I can just picture you as Dr. Peter, the tooth fairy. And then like, the you know, <laughs> scrubs out, like scrubs on tooth fairy just like pulling wisdom teeth like get in here guys and then uh, absolutely yeah that's, well, my call, my, that's my call sign over the uh, <laughs> tooth, fairy. <laughs> tooth fairy over it probably yeah. is <laughs> and if you didn't have one before you have one now perfect yep. <laughs> um so we gotta ask i think we've you're not dr jules was the first dentist on so you're not the first but you probably won't be the last and we're gonna ask what toothpaste do you recommend? Doesn't have to be a brand, but 
what like what do you think the best active ingredients are and then if you do have a brand i mean you can plug it they're probably not they're definitely not sponsoring us because we don't have <laughs> uh toothpaste sponsorships but just you know let it go yeah so I, i'm definitely not getting paid by any outside uh toothpaste companies you know i'm not one of the nine nine out of yeah. ten dentists that recommend anything um i personally love sensodyne uh, i've got some recession on a couple of teeth and you know get that sensitivity with real cold water but Love my Sensodyne for that. Um, so really the main the main thing you want to look for is fluoride in toothpaste. I think Dr. Jules covered that. Um, you know, that's that's what we're looking for for cavity prevention. Um, but there's there's different types of fluoride in, in toothpaste. You got your sodium fluoride, you got your stannous fluoride. Um, and then uh, there's one more, it's not as common that you see, but really what we're looking for is the parts per million. Um, of the fluoride molecules in, in fluoride. And that's the most important thing. And pretty much every major brand is going to run around a thousand parts per million for fluoride. So you'll see different concentrations like 0. you know, 0.46 stannous fluoride or whatnot. And so your sodium fluoride is a sodium ion combined with the fluorine. So anytime you combine the fluorine with some another element, it becomes the fluoride. Um, so that's sodium fluoride and then the stannous is combined with tin. So there's actually two fluoride um, ions with the tin. And so that's why you'll see like a lower percentage of the stannous fluoride. It's not that there's less fluoride in it. There's just two fluoride molecules combined to the tin. So interesting. Yeah, that's like some deep chemistry that I don't think any of our viewers care about. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. also prescription grade uh, fluoride for all the dirty mouths out there. I do love that as well. Um, you know, growing up in high school and in early parts of college, I had a lot of cavities. I got on that prescription grade fluoride. It's about 5,000 parts per million. So it's about five times as con concentrated as regular toothpaste. I hadn't had any cavities since, but I also floss my teeth now. So maybe that's... Oh, yeah. We, we went into a big uh, brushing and flossing with Dr. Jules, I know you heard, but it's like, and then uh, I think a lot of, a lot of people, I think they did ended up smelling their floss and we're like, that's disgusting. I need a floss all the time. Oh yeah. And you just look at the floss, even after you brush your teeth and you're like, how did all that stay in there? You know, toothbrush isn't getting in between the teeth. So super important to make sure we're still cleaning that, that portion of the tooth. Yeah. So have you noticed any associations between like poor dental health and poor general health? Um, I know it's kind of a little bit of a cleanliness factor as well. But um, I know we've, we've talked about some studies before and we kind of discussed it a little bit with Dr. Jules too. It's like, there's kind of an association with heart health, I think periodontal disease, mm -hmm. uh, erectile dysfunction. So it's like the whole men's health picture. Uh, any associations that you've seen or anything um, that you know in your professional opinion to like prevent these issues? Yeah, so I think it's, it's super weird uh, that dentistry is so segregated from medicine as a whole historically. Uh, and you look at, you know, doctors kind of stay out of the lane of the mouth and dentistry is this whole nother subsect. And so it's been considered separate for so long, you know, the more and more research that comes out, the more we learn about, you know, it, it's common sense that your oral health is combined, you know, with the rest of your systemic health. And so, you see a lot of um, correlation between different things like periodontal disease and cardiovascular disease, uh, looking at atherosclerosis, um, things like that, and then even erectile dysfunction. Um, 
And then it comes down to it's like, well, is that causation or correlation? Is it just like somebody who's more likely to floss their teeth and take good care of their teeth is also willing to take care of their body as a whole? Because um, when you see a lot of these things, like the connections are all diabetes, obesity, smoking, and, and the, those are your like main risk factors for things like periodontal disease. And then also as well as like your overall health, um, systemic systemic diseases and cardiovascular disease. So um, it is interesting. There are some, some links, um, positive correlation between the things when you start taking out, you know, okay, well, let's look at the research with smokers and let's look at the research with non-smokers. We still have the connections once we start taking out those secondary factors between periodontal disease and um, cardiovascular disease as well. I did my research in, in college, my senior capstone project on that. Really, it comes down to right now um, correlation, and we haven't quite nailed down a causation yet. So, yeah. Well, and, I, sorry, what was that? Linking to causation, we take a lot, good bit of time because you have to got to follow patients over time to have some kind of linking back to that. That's got to be interesting, though, with the. Uh, the correlation, especially in the, I don't know how the military is nowadays, but a decade ago, you know, most of them are heavy smokers. We're all drinking. Um, you know, our diets are not the best. And I, you know, I can't speak. I feel like, you know, it's like the 101st are probably closer to the Marines than most of the armies are, but like, we're just fucking animals. So it's going to be quite the challenge, like trying to balance that, like professionalism, uh, trying to explain to these guys, like, yo, you're, like, you're living your lifestyle, you're young, you know, warfighter out here doing your thing but you got to take care of yourself do you find yourself kind of repeating the same um like preventative measures to them every day oh i'm a i'm a broken record absolutely so <laughs> it's like how much dentistry do i not do in terms of like operative dentistry like actually holding a drill in my hand versus preventative dentistry and trying to educate uh these guys and i just think overall dental education is so poor especially with the demographic that we get in the military but we're looking at guys that are always low on sleep. They're heavy tobacco users, whether that's, you know, cigarettes dip or now vaping. Uh, so I guess not tobacco, but, you know, nicotine in form of a vape. All these guys are sucking down, you know, three, four energy drinks a day. Um, and when you look at like how, you know, the lack of sleep, really the big thing is like poor nutrition and lack of sleep. Um, how that affects your body overall systemically. Like a lot of times I'll see with these guys like necrotizing uh, periodontal disease where their gums are just eroding out of their mouths. And typically that's associated with like immune compromising things like AIDS. It's like, well, you got your HIV draw, you know, this year already, we know you don't have AIDS, but their body is just so wrecked from, you know, neglect um, and stress that they're having these sort of systemic problems um but yeah especially you know the 101st is uh high tempo kind of like the 82nd airborne and that i mean we're always going you put us in that field environment and we essentially we got the testosterone rates of like 82 year old men because we're not sleeping and we're eating mres every day that have poor nutritional value yeah you get these dirty guys out here no shower for four weeks and half of them didn't bring their toothbrushes at all so see a lot of nasty nasty mouths while we're out in the field on sick call Jesus. Uh, it's really interesting yeah, was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're like 
reminding Cam <laughs> that it's it's good to be a unlike pharmacist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, like, there is not a smell. Like, I don't care, like, where anybody's been. There is not a smell that is gonna beat if you haven't showered for like four months. You get in a porta john out there. And that hot air, like, kind of goes up your crack in your balls and hits you in the face. Like, your <laughs> own stank for four months is the worst thing you're ever going to smell. Like, I, I can't even explain it. Like, it burns yeah. my mind. There's, you know, prep med out there, you know, they're supposed to have a certain amount of Porta Johns per, you know, however many soldiers. We never have enough Porta Potties, and they do not get cleaned out as regularly as they're supposed to get cleaned out. And that's like you hop in one of those at 110 degrees outside. It's been cooking all day long. You're wearing all your gear. Uh, by the time you get your flick off and put your weapon down, you know, you're, you're sweating. You're essentially sitting in a sauna in there in your own fill. And you're sitting on essentially a mountain of shit and cum. Ridiculous. Yep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, wow. It's unworldly, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like hysterical. Okay, so <laughs> um, I did not expect that to go that way, but it makes sense. Um, <laughs> so what kind of got you into like men's health? I know kind of talking to you previously, you said you're a big men's health guy since, you know, you can remember, but it's so important to kind of realize like the, the actual world of men's health right now isn't really too advanced. It's not too great. And so that's kind of our job or what we've created a job for ourselves to educate men uh, about their health and different type of, you know, things that they can do to improve their health overall well-being. So what initially got you into the subject other than the fact that, you know, you're a guy and you're, t- and you, you know, clearly take good care of yourself. And yeah, aside so- from the fact that you're dealing with, you know, a hundred animals a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me personally, it really started out uh, pretty early on, you know, middle school, I struggled with a lot of body image issues. Um, I was overweight, started trying to lose weight myself and took it a little bit too far. So then I was, you know, going, my parents had me checked out to see if it was an eating disorder or what. Um, and that's something, you know, I, it's never really left me. So I've always struggled with body image issues and um, kind of diet being my enemy um and kind of took that into college when i was training for baseball i was going to try out for a college team so that's when i first started weight training didn't really know anything about that and so trying to figure all that out i've always been a curious guy um and so started kind of diving in on the research on how i could supplement how i could essentially maximize my effort or be as efficient as possible and trying to figure that out carried on into dental school um once i got a hold of some pubmed articles um on researching you know i just really got into educating myself on the matter so that i could turn what was an unhealthy um issue for myself mentally into an advantage for myself and applying that towards my life and, you know, just, just getting on top of nutrition, uh, getting on top of my, my exercise regimen. Um, and I've just, I guess, ever since then, wanted to be bigger, faster, and stronger and, and find the best way to do that um, naturally and, and trying to just be the best person I can be. And now I'm in a position where, you know, the Army, they call us underpaid athletes. I, you, have, you have certain responsibilities of taking care of yourself physically, um, doing 12-mile rucks or 
or morning runs or whatever. So I, you know, you gotta be an all around healthy individual. And so now that I'm getting, you know, I hit 30 this year, things are getting a little bit harder to do. Uh, it's not like I can go run a 10 K just without any training anymore. So staying on top of all that, um, is really what, what's got me into it. That's a pretty, yeah. That's a pretty good way to put that. Um, cause it's, it's one thing you kind of forget about, especially when you get out is you'd wake up, you know, four, 3 AM and then you would go run like eight miles. Like you don't want to, but they make you run it. And but I hate then, running. So yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> It's not something I can just get out there and do. I think around like 28 was the first time I realized I couldn't just go out and do as much as I wanted to without any negative consequences. And I was like, man, if I'm going to run four to eight miles, you know, on a regular basis, I need to be doing this and training for this ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> that was a sad realization for me. I kind of wanted to circle back a little bit. I know you had mentioned just now talking about how you have to take care of yourself and how you kind of have to prepare. Um, we do a thing in Tampa, uh, we call it big walking guys. And it's kind of inconsistent because we started it in pharmacy school. So um, we do, you know, walk on the river, walk a lot like me and, and some guys in the men's health. And then we invite people to come and just like exercise. And it's a nice place for them to come and like talk. Um, and people, and it's really neat because guys come and they open up about things that they might not normally do in a regular environment. And so we had a guy who he's a friend of one of ours. He followed us on Instagram and he's in Tampa and he comes and walks with us. He's uh, I think he's current military. Um, and he was one night he came out to walk in and he talked about how like him and a lot of his buddies have experienced these extreme fluctuations in testosterone. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, you guys are under such high stress. You guys, you know, don't sleep cortisol levels are probably through the roof and especially in a combat setting, I can only imagine. Um, and so then they have like weight fluctuations, testosterone fluctuations, like hormones, like they get their blood work done. Their hormones are all over the place when they finally come home and they can just like relax. So, um, have you experienced this before or any of your patients experience? And do you have any like holistic advice, you know, before going on testosterone replacement therapy or something like that to give that, that you see. Yeah. And that's, um, that's a hard part of this job, um, is the requirements that, that it has for you, but it's not exclusive this job, right? Everybody's got these periods of stress in their life, um, that they go through where it really just messes up their, their hormone balance and just everything, you know, the homeostasis of your body to this extent. I mean, for me personally, when we go to the field for three weeks, I know I'm probably going to lose about 10 pounds or so. Um, and there's no gym, no gym equipment. So there's no real exercise, right? You're, you're exerting energy out in the sun all day, running around. There's nothing that I'm used to for weight training. And then your nutrition's way down. We're sleeping outside, no tent, you know, on the ground. How well can you sleep in that environment? It's 90 it degrees. Ground, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> Every now and again, I'll steal a cot and try and sleep on that, but it's still not the same as, you know, sleeping at home in an air condition with a fan on. Uh, it's 90 degrees outside, so your sleep, sleep quality is poor, your nutrition is poor. It's just going to mess up everything with you. And so really, it's just like trying to control what you can control. And that's a big thing I've learned is I've got issues um, with things that I can't control stressing me out. Um, and so it's just finding what can I control in that environment and what can't I, um, and so what I do try and control as much as possible is just, you know, diet wise. So I'm looking at my MREs, I'm reading the, 
nutrition facts on them. I bring snacks with me um, and try and do as much as possible to stay in kind of that range of what I'm trying to hit calorie wise. You know, macros go out the window in the field environment. It's all just fat and sugar anyways. So uh, can't control that. But um, I mean, really it's, it's, it's recovery when I get back from these things. So we're going to go through periods in our life of stress where it kind of messes everything up. Your cortisol is way up. You're anabolic uh, or not catabolic, not anabolic. Um, and so you're kind of losing, losing things that you've worked hard for. But once you get back, it's just controlling your diet your sleep hygiene, things like that, um, and trying to manage your stress levels. Yeah, just to clear it up for our listeners really quick. So like anabolic and like really layman's terms means you're growing, catabolic means you're breaking down. So just wanted to clear that up for the non-science minds that listen. Um, like fancy yeah. Talk, but yeah, tying it all up. So there's one, one back thing. So yeah, sleeping in sand is probably the best I've ever had in my life. Like in Santa <laughs> California, we dug a, dug a hole in my truck, like under the front end to sleep for a night. And the best I've ever got in my life still to this day. So it really depends on the ground. I'll uh, have to try that out if I get that opportunity. Normally I'm sleeping, you know, in the woods in, in Kentucky. Yeah, a little too hard there's, for that. There's roots on the ground. You're trying to sleep around. You got ticks all over you. Spiders crawling across your face. And I had a snake slither up on my, uh, on my sleeping mat. And I was just like, yeah, I'm done with this. Plus it's like... <laughs> You know, I'm such a regimented guy. I love my routine. So, you know, I've got to have it at 70 degrees when I sleep with a, a fan on high. And it really hits you hard when you get out there. And it's like you're trying to go to bed at 10 o'clock and it's still 85 degrees outside and you have a sleeping bag to sleep in. Um, I don't sleep outside the sleeping bag because I'm trying to keep the ticks and other bugs off me. So you're just sweating to death. And it's like, man, like it really does show you sleep hygiene is important. Super important. Oh, yeah. So. We already hit on some of the uh, tendencies, obviously, some, you see with some patients, with yourself, uh, unit, things like that. So what about some nutritional advice? We kind of hit on MREs. Uh, for everybody who doesn't know, MREs are stupidly calorie dense. Now, they're not like beneficial calories, as you mentioned before, it's fats and sugars. So it's like, it's like all the junk food you wanted as a kid, but now this is like all you have to eat because you're going to burn this shit instantly. Um, so you said you bring snacks. So what about um, for people in the field? What are some uh, good options for nutrition? And then even back home, what are some good options for your teeth and for your real health as well? Yeah, for the field, I love taking, you know, just protein bars out there and then a bunch of trail mix, things like that. Uh, the MREs, it's just like, how can we pack as many calories as possible in this small little pack for you? Um, you know, trail mix is high calorie dense. Uh, but for me, it's like, I, I do like that energy. And you do burn a decent amount of calories being out there in the sun. Uh, for tooth, for your teeth, I mean, not much is good for your teeth. And so I think when I was going to dental school, kind of talking to my parents about everything I'm learning, they're pulling out different foods. So like, is this good for your teeth? Is this good for your teeth? I'm like, no, it's all bad pretty much. <laughs> uh, but the biggest things you want to avoid um, is like the frequency with which you eat uh, and then the amount of time that it's actually in your mouth for. So it's like when guys are drinking sugary sodas, I'm like, chug that soda. You don't want it sitting on your teeth for a long period of time. Chase it with some water afterwards. I mean, personally, I think for your metabolism and everything that being a grazer is a good thing, but for your teeth, it's terrible. So you want to limit those windows. Anytime we put something in your mouth, it's typically going to lower the pH in your mouth to an acidic, you know, below 5.5 um, on that range for pH. And it starts essentially eating away at tooth structure. 
Um, and then your saliva is there to buffer that. So your saliva brings it back up into a normal range with all the um, calcium, phosphate that you need for your teeth, all the minerals you need for your teeth. So if you can limit the amount of times that you drop below 5.5 in a day for pH, that's better. And the amount of time that you're actually consuming that food. So eating quickly and eating three square meals instead of grazing throughout the day are best for your teeth. Oh, is there anything that like helps strengthen their teeth? Any like fluoride? Yeah, get that fluoride. So um, you don't. I don't recommend brushing your teeth immediately after eating because uh, your teeth are in that weakened state. You can actually brush away some of the good tooth structure there if you're doing it within that 30 minute window, really after eating. But you know, you've got fluoride in your water, so just chase your food, chase your meal or drinks with water. Kind of swish that around, get all the gunk off there, and uh, kind of try and balance. I love the alkalized water, that 9.5 pH water. I'll pay extra for that all day long, uh, just to kind of get my teeth back to that that homeostasis. Oh, nice! I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. What about so? This is something I've been thinking. Like after the podcast with Doctor Jules, I've kind of rearranged some of my habits because I'm an okay. absolute caffeine coffee fiend. Um, you say feet? fiend? Fiend. Oh, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> no, I'm not dunking feet into coffee. You're and, like, I love feet. No. <laughs> oh my coffee God. and feet guys <laughs> no so i'm like i'm just caffeine coffee addict like mm-hmm. it. when i was like when i was a baby i heard that like my grandparents every now and again would like coffee con leche like oh. my bottle but it would be more like you know more milk like more leche than coffee right mm-hmm. but i would still like catch that buzz my dad was in the coffee business when i you know when i was younger like Basically, it's in my blood. And so I would like basically like drink coffee and then like brush my teeth because I didn't want the stains. But then I heard that was no good. Mm-hmm. So I would just so now like, I is it OK now to brush my teeth, wait like 30 minutes and then drink my coffee? I think you're probably going to get the most bang for your buck brushing afterwards, but just waiting for that, you know, 30, 45 minute window um, to where you're okay. going to buffer out. But I mean, if you're sipping coffee, I mean, you can brush before and after. I mean, it really, the staining comes down. And I think Dr. Julie did a good job at kind of covering intrinsic versus extrinsic staining, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's staining the actual tooth itself or if it's like the plaque on the outside of the tooth. So you brush before, get that plaque off, you're going to avoid that extrinsic staining. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just really, it's, it's avoiding brushing your teeth when it's in that weakened state. What would you say? It might not be definite, but what would you say that weekend state is like, I'm sure it's different for everybody, but is there like a range they, that you guys 30 minutes is the biggest range. This the most common range that I hear that it okay. for your saliva. And it depends really comes down to what kind of, what kind of saliva do you produce? Are you kind of the uh, more mucousy saliva or are you the more like watery runny saliva? Ah, oh, okay. Interesting. I'm watery as fuck, boy. There you go. You're, you got that serious saliva. <laughs> I feel like mine changes quite a bit. It's like, I don't even know if it has to do with hydration, but after I drink, I've noticed that like after I drink, I would drink a lot of like sparkling water. Okay. I'm a huge polar liquid death, like all that. If any of you guys want to sponsor us, hit me up. Cause I will take free polar and liquid death all day long. But yeah, right. I notice after I drink like sparkling water, that my saliva changes consistency. Okay. 
Yeah, I don't know. And if there's any science behind that, uh, hydration definitely plays into um, that saliva production. And then two, if you're consuming real sugary things, a lot of times that can make your saliva a little bit more mucusy. You know, you drink a Gatorade and you got that kind of phlegm in your throat afterwards. Yeah. 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 Well, that's like, there's a lot of like pro there's a lot of sugar in Gatorade. Yeah, sure. I feel right. like it does like cause some kind of info, like it's processed sugar too. Mm -hmm. And so there's definitely an inflammatory aspect behind those like processed foods, processed sugars, um, that you wouldn't normally get when you're eating whole foods. And that's, yeah, too, you think about, you know, people with gastro, uh, esophageal reflux, so GERD, mm -hmm. they typically produce a lot of that really thick mucusy saliva. And that's because that acid is coming up their esophagus from the stomach into the mouth. And the mouth is trying to protect, you know, the back of the back of the mouth and the teeth by laying down this thick layer of mucus to kind of buffer that acid. So maybe, maybe there's something to be said with uh, acidic foods and drinks as well with creating that, that thick mucus layer. That's interesting. Potentially, yeah. Don't quote me on it, but no. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're probably you're going to be published saying it. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. Perfect. <laughs> I feel like it also might depend on like the source of the GERD too, because especially a lot of people in the military have, you know, heartburn, things like that um, could be classified as GERD. And a lot of times it is our diet. Uh, we drink a lot of alcohol and that's hugely, hugely impactful for, for GERD and things like that. So I don't know if that would trigger the same kind of thickening mm -hmm. um, just because it's alcohol and your, your body's not naturally producing it. So it might not trigger that same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but regardless, get off topic here. So we're talking about the acidic drinks that made me think about our bubbly boys here. This is carbonated water. So that's going to be slightly acidic. So would that follow the same kind of soup where we'd want to maybe wash with regular water afterwards? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Oh. All right. We can't over here where I ever think we're innovating and shit and we're fucking our mouths up. Not, not <laughs> all water, not all water is created equal. So <laughs> I think you might have seen that viral test on Facebook, or maybe that's just what pops up on, on Dennis Facebook pages, um, where they tested the pH of all the different bottled waters. And most mm. of the, you know, main brand uh, bottled waters were actually acidic in nature. Oh, interesting. I can imagine. I mean, a lot of those sit in plastic and I don't know if that contributes to the acidity, but you really can never tell. Has this bottle of water been sitting in a warehouse somewhere in the heat for leaching a bunch of like, BPA into your water as well? Right. So I think that's something to kind of, I like my cans. I don't, you know, maybe the aluminum isn't any better or whatever, but it's just yeah, they have like kind of lining in them, though. I think most of them have, I don't know what it is. I can't remember. Right. Um, but they have some kind of lining in there. So I'm sure there's some still there as well. Yeah, there's no telling what we're putting into our bodies. I think the more and more we find out about, you know, the microplastics in our blood. I know that's been a bit big topic lately, um, but it's just, you know, there's no telling what we absorb from our environment. Yeah, well, no I thought, to avoid everything. Yeah, I mean, it's part of, it is what it is. Like we can do the best we can to limit it. I also saw like a little article the other day, it was a while ago, but it was saying that like bodies decay a lot slower, like after, like post-mortem. So somebody who just like gets buried or whatever, like because of all the plastics and preservatives, preservatives that we eat and like everything that's in our food that the, they actually seep into our cells and like the bodies actually, it takes them considerably longer to decay just underground. You know, I don't, I don't know like what the exclusionary criteria with that was like how much, you know, formalin did they use on preserving the body or whatever, but bodies like are taking a lot longer to 
to decompose. Seems like that makes sense. That's reminding me of the uh, my three-year-old McDonald's burger that looked exactly yes. the same. Yeah, yeah. That's I guess that's going to be us when we we pass one day. Oh man, I would be the coolest McDonald's burger ever. <laughs> fries. I want to be fries. I like. Well, he's talking about like non-decaying dead people, but yeah, you know, <laughs> what is that? Um, <laughs> the pink mush shit. Um, damn it. I can't remember. It's like an old 80s movie. The pink mush. Not, it was green. Oh, it was like, oh uh, that they were making the chicken nuggets out of? Not no, that's nuggets, what like, my mind went to. It was yeah. like an 80s movie where they were turning people into like Sawyer Green or something like that. I can't remember what it's called now. Oh, Soylent Green. Soylent. There it is. Yeah. Wait, so we, this conversation went from dentistry to turning people to Soylent Green. Okay. That's how it goes. <laughs> That's been self-unscripted, man. Covering everything today. <laughs> so, Dr. Peter, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really appreciate it. Any, uh, any final words of the wise to our listeners um, that can help their dental health, something that we didn't cover, uh, some niche piece of knowledge that you know that you need to share with the normies? Uh, anything? Or any questions for us? <laughs> yeah, any questions for us? Uh, I just say, you know, you get one set of teeth, make sure you take care of them, so... Um, you know, if we're living 70 plus years nowadays, it's, uh, it's important to, to brush and floss and take care of them, kind of manage your nutrition, make sure you're not consuming too many highly sugary and acidic foods. Um, if you do, you know, do the proper practices to kind of mitigate those risk factors, but I appreciate you guys having me on hopefully I added something of, of value today. No, you definitely did. It's always uh, interesting to, because I mean, you're really right. Like dentistry doesn't get covered enough. Like I don't, Cam, do you remember any time in the last four years where we talked about dentistry other than like meds that can screw up your teeth? I, well, we preventative, preventative measures like antibiotics and things like that. And even some of the um, like gases and stuff. But yeah, that's like about it. You don't really little, touch dentistry at all. Little Keflex. Yeah. <laughs> That's I don't understand. So maybe we can talk about this. It'll be a little different for you. Okay. What is up with dentists writing like preventative, like amoxicillin, and it's like take four capsules before procedure, but then they're going to give them like 47 of them. Like, I know it's the, like you're taking it afterwards, but why the fuck don't you write that down? So you're talking about like <laughs> pre medding with antibiotics and then giving yeah. them a bunch for afterwards? Yeah. I think for the most part, that's kind of um, not recommended anymore. So yeah, that's uh, for me, it's, you know, all the different medications and kind of uh, polypharmacies, not really my strong suit, because most of the guys in the army I treat, you know, are in that 18 to 30 age range, not on a lot of medications, don't have a lot of like systemic issues, but they're doing a lot of pre-meds for like hip transplants or, you know, things like that uh, with orthopedic surgery, as well as with some cardiovascular things. And I think really all it's uh, recommended for is like, if you've had um, a valve replacement for your heart or some artificial stent placed in your heart nowadays, and then the orthopods are kind of getting on board where it's maybe not recommended for uh, joint replacements outside of a, a very specific window. So yeah, a lot of the normie dentists, I had it happen yesterday is they'll, they'll prescribe like, pre-procedure antibiotics so i had like clindamycin and they were taking like two of the caps but then they had like six refills and they wanted a quantity of 28 dispense so we're like what the fuck are you guys doing yeah and it's like just some 
that you're patient specific and some other stuff. And it's like, you should be writing them the pre and then a separate one for the, the whatever is going to be happening after that. That way they know what's going on and not have to rely on their memory. Sounds like they're just giving them a lifetime supply for every dental procedure they're going to need. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, I got that. And I was like, yo, this guy's getting seated. He's going to be shitting his pants. And <laughs> oh, yeah. Sounds like a lawsuit waiting to happen. All that Clinda, I was like, ooh, buddy. What, just giving like clindamycin prophylaxis or post-surge? Giving them like 28 of them with six refills? That's way oh, too much clindamycin. I'm going to get C. diff just thinking about that. Just thinking yeah. about it. Like, for the, oh, for the most part, really all I touch is amoxicillin and then some metronidazole for specific things. Um, augment if it's worse than, you know, something that amoxicillin can handle. But yeah, yeah. simply that's it, unless you have like some real concerns with like endocarditis or something like mm -hmm. trans, like transmission infection. Like, no, nah. I don't think they oh, need man. Wasn't Augment the first drug that we ever counseled on? Yeah. Nice. I'll never forget that. It was like, what are you going to do? Like, oh, what are the side effects? Yeah, you might shit your pants. <laughs> it's okay. But you'll feel better. And make sure you take all of them. I'm the best, I'm the best unlicensed pharmacist ever. Does, <laughs> does eating yogurt help when you're taking an antibiotic? That's what I want to know. I've always so, been told. So it can. So it really depends on uh, the yogurt. And then obviously, if it's going to have enough of any of those, um, like, prebiotic inside of it. The big thing is if you're going to mess with prebiotics around antibiotics, you need to separate them bad boys out. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of people will like, oh, yeah, I take a prebiotic and then I'll take my antibiotic. It's like, cool, you just spent money and then murdered it in your stomach. So mm, it's like right. you just took a, your prebiotic and then your antibiotic and you just killed that shit off. Uh, so it can. Um, but again, it really depends on the product. Time it yeah. out, right? Got to stay away from the sugary yogurts and like the flavored yogurts. Those don't do you any good. I think like most of that sugar and like preservative and stuff they put in it isn't really great. From what I've heard is Greek yogurt. Greek yogurt is the best to supplement with because it's like plain Greek yogurt. Um, and then I've got some people, I work in a coffee shop on the weekends just because caffeine is the most widely distributed drug in the world. And, um, but the, there's a lot of people that actually come in and swear by the kombucha. We have kombucha. Oh, yeah. And so they'll like, some people have come in and they'll, they know I'm in or was in pharmacy school. So they're talking to me about it. And then they've, they've actually said like after a round of antibiotics that they'll wait a couple of days and drink kombucha for a couple of days. And they like feel better. They don't shit themselves. Yeah. Mm. Well, let's circle back around. That's also very acidic. So, you know, rinse afterwards. Yeah. Oh, true. <laughs> true. I think on the podcast from now on, when we talk about eating anything, we're going to just say rinse, rinse afterwards. <laughs> go, get you, go get you some alkalized water, rinse afterwards. Yeah, 9.5 9 pH alkalized water. Give it a good just rinse. Keep it on deck. You munching them from <laughs> ranch Doritos? <laughs> that alkalized water really? Yeah. Um, learning man. more about dentistry just made everything about food less fun for me. I was just like, <laughs> could not get through a meal without eating, thinking about how it's affecting my teeth. But oh, man. Well, well, teeth are resilient. So. Yeah. I mean, people have been eating for like thousands of years. So allegedly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, they've also only been living to like 30 and at that time they had four teeth left. So ugh. that's true. Although I'll see, you know, you see one of those old skeletons that archaeologist, like archaeologists, sorry, what's the archaeologist find and they've just got perfect teeth in there. Well, yeah. That's what are they like doing? Thousands of years ago, you know, before we had braces, that's another thing. Um, you know about braces like we've got all the ability to fix these crooked 
janky teeth nowadays, but we're not fixing the genetics behind them. So we're just reproducing those, uh, those crooked teeth back into our gene pool. Yo, some people like inbreeding. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. We talk about uh, wisdom teeth uh, and our jaws are getting smaller over time evolutionarily. You know, we used to have a need for those extra set of molars and now we don't or typically like most of our jaws don't fit those. So, yeah, I went to a dentist a couple of years. I don't go to him anymore. I didn't, I didn't like him that much, but I, I went to a dentist and he like um, scanned, like did the whole head scan. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. And he was like, you're a caveman. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And he's like, you're like one of the few people I see with wisdom teeth still. You don't have a cavity in them. Like they're perfect. And they're like, in place and just you're out. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I couldn't. I don't know. I don't tell you. Like I brush my teeth a couple times a day. I feel like I take pretty good care of them. You yeah. Know? And I haven't had an issue. Hopefully I don't. But he was just like baffled at the fact mm-hmm. that I had my wisdom teeth. I'll so, say it's pretty rare between the combination of having enough having a big enough jaw to fit those in in place for those to come in in place and then actually taking good enough care of those. I mean, if I see that, I always get a little bit excited because, because most people don't brush that far back because you feel like you're hitting your jaw with your toothbrush at that point. That, or you're hitting the gag reflex. Oh yeah. Yeah. My gag. Yeah. So I'm learning a lot about you today, Patrick. <laughs> yeah. my. <laughs> but you know, toothbrushing skills, are just through the roof, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, Dr. Peter, thank you so much, man. We had a lot of fun. Absolutely. Anytime. You're welcome to call out cam anytime and come back on. Uh, Yeah. I, when I heard that, I was like, I got to get on this podcast. (laughs) You're like, how is this possible? (laughs) (laughs) I was offended personally. (laughs) I, I just loved it. Like we got called out by somebody like, so every now and again, we'll get like a Twitter troll or something. But then it's me like sending them. I don't know if anybody fire, uh, follows Iron Sheik on Twitter. Yo, he is a ham. Yeah, he is an animal. He pretty much just tells everybody to go fuck themselves like six times a day. And uh, so then like if somebody, I think somebody like trolled us on Twitter about something and I just like retweeted them into Iron Sheik. And I was like, <laughs> you can go F yourself something. Nice. But yeah, he's he's gold. So I'll have to give him a follow. Uh, where can our... Where can our viewers um, find you if like social media, website, anything like that, that you care to disclose? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not super big on social media. Um, I started a dental Instagram page. I think I have like four followers. I just post my cases periodically. Uh, but, you know, you can reach me by email. It's just PF Heitman. That's spelled he, it, man at gmail.com. If you've got any dental or men's health related questions, I'd be more than happy to answer that, send you some some literature to go review. Nice. You, know, you might get a lot of dentists trying to hit you up for cases now, but they know that these, you know, fucked up mouth are sitting all over the base there. Hey, yeah, <laughs> no, I'll send them your way. <laughs> all right, Dr. Peter, take it easy. And, um, we, you know, hopefully we'll talk soon. That sounds good. Appreciate it, guys. You'll be safe, brother. Yep.